You know you grew up in a pastor's home uh, when uh, you're, you become a pastor and you're a PK, you become a pastor, and it just so happens, it was not the family business. My mom and dad didn't place it on us, but my brother is pastoring a multi-site church in Ottawa, Kansas, and my other, my sister is, uh, they planted a church, and you've heard from my brother-in-law, Troy, just a couple of weeks ago in one of our sermon series. They planted in Manhattan, Kansas, and uh, we're, we're, we're like, I guess, the, the forgotten sheep over here in the, the great state of Texas, but, but uh, uh, for Christmas one year, my mom actually got my brother and my brother-in-law and myself a trip to Washington, D.C. to sit down for a day with author Mark Batterson, who you just saw uh, is the author of the, the, the book Whisper. So like, instead of getting like the trip to Cancun, we got to go visit a, a, a pastoral author. You know, that's, that, that's how we rock in the, in the whole pastor's home, but it's actually awesome. And I hope that you will engage this summer in some of the different activities and groups uh, that we're creating for you in the middle of the chaos of a crazy summer. There's still other ways to uh, get connected at Timber Creek. We continue on, we are smack dab in the middle of our series we launched from Mother's Day to Father's Day, we've entitled Warrior, and it's all based on Ephesians chapter six as Paul is writing in chains and in prison to the church of Ephesus. He may in fact have a Roman guard outside of his prison cell, and it may have encouraged him beyond the spirit of God to write these things. He may have seen these Roman armor, pieces of armor, and he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's not about your willpower, it's about his mighty power. Willpower only goes so far. His power is actually so much that we really need to get to the end of our power in order to engage. Be strong in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. It's, a, it's an activity. It's, it's not just something that you um, accept. It's something that you are activating in your life. Put it on. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. He has got some strategies against you. Paul goes on to then give us these different pieces from the belt of truth to all kinds of prayers. And over the next two weeks, we're gonna finish up. Today, we're smack dab in the middle and we're gonna be talking about the shield of faith. The apostle Paul writes it this way. He says, take up. Everybody say, take up. Come on, Nacogdoches Lufkin, say, take up. You gotta like, take it up. Take up the shield of faith with which you then can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is where we're gonna set up camp today. Would you just close your eyes at all of our locations and you just can't pray enough in your life. We've already prayed over worship. We've prayed over your intersections. We've prayed over giving. Now let's pray to receive. Father, um, there are seasons in our life where we see you clearly and then other seasons where we wonder, are you even there? Many times when we doubt you, it can make us feel insecure in our salvation, insecure in our place with you. But that's a very normal thing. Thank you that you are not insecure. Thank you that you are not inconsistent, that you are constant and so, so faithful. Speak to us on how to build and take up, to take it up today with both hands, the shield of faith. May we know it's way beyond a piece of armor and it's actually a person, 
you, Jesus, are our shield. Father, for those that are in our rooms that they've drifted, or maybe they've never invited you to be the Lord of their life, Father, I pray that you would even now begin to just stir their heart. This is an intersection for them to start somewhere trusting in you. Bless this time we have in Jesus' name, amen. Let me move from the Ephesians and let's go backwards several hundred years to the wisest man who ever lived. That's not according to me, that's according to God. God said, this is the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon, King Solomon, David's son, which I love that God can take a mess and make it a message, a mess and make it a masterpiece. Solomon ought never to have been born. He was born out of a relationship that was an adulterous affair. It jacked up David's life, and yet God is so faithful to turn plan C into plan A again. King Solomon becomes the wisest man who ever lived, and here's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3. God does everything just right and what? Come on, say it strong, just right and? He does. He does. But what I want to direct your attention to is this little thing called the comma. Because that's not a period there. God does everything just right and on time. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. This isn't the end of the scripture. And there's such wisdom in this scripture. He does everything just right and on time. You're right. You're right. But people can never completely understand what he's doing. I mean, we see him doing it and we don't understand it. And we, we wonder, is he doing? And we don't see it all at the same time. And we've got questions and we've got struggles and we need to understand. And that's where this comma produces the necessity in our lives of this little thing we're unpacking today called faith. Like the comma represents the faith. He's good and he does things on time. But I don't know when the time is, and I'm not really for sure. Is he really that good? Because this don't feel very good. And the space between just right and on time and what I feel requires faith. Many people believe that you have to have like mountain-sized faith in order to move little mustard seeds. But really, the Bible says it's mustard seed faith that moves Mountains, it's not really, he's saying, about the quantity of your faith. It's about where your faith is anchored, how you take it up on the daily. Faith, basically, if you want to write down a little definition, faith is trusting in something you cannot explicitly prove. Like truly trusting in the word. That's hot, don't touch it. But as a kid, you just really, you just, you just really just want to touch it. And then it's not faith, it's your actually your proof <laughs> that you touched it and it was hot. And so, I told you, I told you. But it, it's trusting in something you can't explicitly, you can't like make sure that it's there. And so that can be a struggle to have faith, to trust something that you can't completely prove that you can trust it, but yet you put your trust in it. Now, here's the dichotomy, here's the paradox, here's the tension that you and I live in. Faith is trusting in something you can't explicitly prove, and yet Hebrews 11 says it's impossible to please God without it. 
So in order to truly have a God-honoring life, we need it. And yet, it requires not being able to see all the time. There's elements of faith. I'm calling them uh, four facets of faith. Four uh, sides of the prism of faith that I want to unpack today to help you really take up the shield of faith in everyday life. And listen, think about what it would look like to truly be able to believe in God when you can't always prove where he's headed or where he's going or what he's going to do. Or you can't, you, you have some questions, you have some doubts. What would it look like to still truly please him with faith? Facet number one, here's how faith is built in our life. Here's the first one. God has a dream for my life. It's impossible to please him without it, and so he has a dream for my life. And we're going to unpack a particular character in the Bible. He's in the Old Testament before Jesus is born of a virgin and comes in complete humanity and divinity. It's the story of Abraham. Many people know him as Father Abraham. He had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, left arm. Old vacation Bible school uh, deal. By the way, you gotta know, like guests never been to church dropping their kids off in vacation Bible school back in the day and all the kids are singing, you know, Father Abraham, right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot. Like what kind of craziness have we gotten ourselves into? Father Abraham is the beginning of the Jewish nation and the Lord visits Abram before he changes his name to Abraham. Here's how the story unfolds. The Lord said to Abram, Here's what I want you to do, Abe. Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. In other words, leave your comfort zone. Leave everything that you know that's comfortable right now and go to the land that I will show you. Like, put the GPS in. What's the destination? I'm gonna show it to you, but you gotta leave the comfort of your current destination and you gotta get to a destination. And I haven't quite shown it to you yet, but will you go? And here's, here's what I'm asking you, go do this, and when you do this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And I'm not gonna do this just so that you can say, <laughs> look at me, I'm famous now, and get your diamond grill, you know. It says you will be a blessing to others. God always wants to bless you, not just because he loves you, because that's enough in and of itself, but there's always a dream he has for your life to be beyond you. It's always beyond me. There's something powerful about when I can look at myself and transcend beyond what God has just done for me, and then I can use what God has done in me and my freedom that I've found and the purpose that I have to then make a difference in other people's lives. This is what Timber Creek is all built around, to know God personally, Find freedom from anything holding you back. Discover his dream, his purpose for your life so that not only are you blessed, but so that you will be a blessing by making a difference in other people's lives. It's all throughout scripture. Those are the four core promises of God. And he doubles down and doesn't just say you will be a blessing to others, but all the families on earth will be, a bless, will be blessed through you. In other words, there is going to become a relative that's gonna change every family. And sure enough, through the line of the Jewish people and through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the fourth son of Jacob, whose name was Judah, that would come David and then Solomon and then later down the road, we would see Jesus. All the families on earth will be blessed by you. 
Number one, God has a dream for my life. Have you asked Jesus lately, God, what's your dream for my life? I know I'm pursuing the dream. I know what the American dream is, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What's your dream for me? Well, what's your dream? And then once you begin to see, and it begins to cut, not all the pieces, but you begin to get like the, the corners of the puzzle to the dream God has for you, facet number two, I decide to follow God's dream. Abram had to step out of his comfort zone and begin to follow God's dream. It's always gonna take activity. It's divinity and humanity, and it's acting in between. There is no miracle Messiah birth without a openness of a womb of a teenage girl. There is no parting of the Red Sea in supernatural way without the natural uh, faith and trust in, a Mo in, in Moses to God to stretch out the human hand and the, human st the, the, the physical staff. There's just something about deciding to engage and follow. And this is what Abram does. Abram departed. The Lord had instructed just as he instructed and Lot went with him. And this, he wasn't no spring chicken. He wasn't like in his prime, you know, uh, muscles. He's 75 years old when he left Haran. I mean, talk about waiting for a while to get the dream from God and then deciding to change up. Many times, the older we get, the harder it is to risk. Young, we're, we're going to do stuff like, oh, went mountain biking with some friends just this last week. One of them came back with, with a broken elbow. One of our pastors, Pastor Stephen Courtney, got, broke his elbow mountain biking. He was doing these gainers and these flips. No, he wasn't. He just, he just hit some gravel. Um, and what, what, what happens is, uh, I, I, told, I told Stephen as I, I drove him home, I said, dude, we ain't in our 20s anymore, are we? <laughs> you know, My grandpa was uh, mauled by a bull. They owned 400 head of cattle and had bulls and they had a dairy farm. He was mauled by a bull. Four months later, his wife, my grandma, was bucked off one of their horses, bucked off a horse. So he's trying to drive her with a broken pelvis and she's holding her arm, broke her arm off. A, and, and, and here were the words of my grandpa to him, said, Carol, Carol Jane. He was Billy Joe, she was Carol Jane. Carol Jane, uh, I ain't a bullfighter uh, and you're not a Bronco buster and we ain't in our 20s anymore, <laughs> you know? Like there comes a time. He ain't no spring chicken, yet he is willing. Friend, let me just say to you, you're never at a place where God is done leveraging your talent and your time and your treasure and your testimony for the kingdom of God. You're never done. You're never done. Never done. So here's what he does. He takes his wife, his nephew, his wealth, his household, and he headed for the land of Canaan. In other words, he was all in. He, he didn't just kind of, hey, I'm going to go scope it out for a couple weeks. You guys stay here. Let me just see if it fits. He was all in and he really went all in for the dream God had. Now, facet number one, God's got a dream. Facet number two, I decide to follow God's dream. Let's skip down to facet number four. It's towards the bottom of your fill in the blanks if you're taking notes on your worship guide. Facet number four, I received the delivery of God's dream. This is like a moment. Facet number four, I received the delivery. God says, I got a dream. We say, I'm going to follow. Facet four, I receive it. And this is exactly what happened. We read in Genesis uh, 21, about 15 chapters later, the Lord kept his word and he did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. 
And this happened at just the time God had said it would. It did not make sense, the pregnancy, to be delayed after the promise, especially in Sarah's old age of 90 years old when she's giving birth. But do you remember what we read at the very beginning, the wisdom of Solomon? God does everything just right and on time. Not your time, he doesn't say on your time. He just does everything right and on time. So let's review. God has a dream for my life. I decide to follow God's dream. I receive delivery of God's dream. Those are three of the four facets, one, two, and four. But there's this little itty bitty situation. This, this kind of this space right here that we would love to bypass, but there are facets of faith, not phases of faith. Phases, you can, you know, let's just skip phase this or phase A or phase B or phase C. Let's just go right on into phase four. Facets you can't skip. It's just simply, it's a, it's a side of it that you can't get around. And this is facet number three. Facet number three, <laughs> I find myself in the messy middle. Mayhem in the middle, messiness in the middle. There is no getting around the messy middle. Now here's what happens in the messy middle. Between deciding to follow God's dream and the delivery of God's dream, there's all kinds of stuff, two key things that happen. If you're taking notes, write these, write these down. In the middle of this messiness, okay, here's what I experience. I have experiences and here's one of them. I experience the discomfort, discomfort of trials designed to develop me. There are certain reps you're gonna take in the messy middle that are tough to push, tough to lift, tough to get after, but there's something happening. There's something being built. Even through the pain, there is gain, and they are trials designed to develop the muscles of your faith. But not only in the messy middle are there trials that are designed to develop me, there are also, I'm experiencing the distraction of temptation designed to destroy me. I've got trials and I've got temptation. What's the difference? Well, trials if they're designed to develop you, I promise they're not coming from the enemy because the enemy doesn't want to develop you. The enemy wants to do nothing but steal, kill, and destroy you. So if there's something in your life that has the capacity to develop you, that's a trial. And let me tell you where trials come. They come from God. A trial that's not a temptation to cause you to sin, but an opportunity for development, that trial's gonna come in the messy middle. But temptation is also there. And there are seasons where we feel like my trial is actually temptation or my temptation is actually a trial. So what will happen, temptations, they come from the enemy. So when I am tempted over something, what I can easily do because it's in the middle of that messy middle is I can ineffectively define a trial as a temptation or a temptation as a trial and I get my enemy all mixed up. All of a sudden, God's my enemy. Or I'm blaming something that's for my development. I'm blaming it on the enemy and I miss the opportunity to develop because I just think, oh, Satan's just after me. You know, Satan's just after me. He's, you know, he's, 
He told my wife, you know, somehow, somehow my wife found out that I was doing this and that. Satan's just after to get me. No, that's God. <laughs> Let your wife know so you can be developed. Trials are from God. Temptations are from the enemy. And then in this season, there, there are a few different ways that this messy middle unfolds that we see in the life of Abram. And it's in these that you can choose to see what God is developing or maybe how the enemy is distracting. Many times it's up to us taking up the shield of faith and leaning not on our own understanding, but yielding to him that we find the difference between the two. Here, here are just five. Lot, lots happens in the messy middle. Here are just five. Number one, discord. When everything doesn't quite sound right. When you hit chords with the right fingers on the right notes on the piano, it sounds beautiful. If you hit the wrong, it goes clang, clang, clang. And some of you relationally, you're dealing with some clang, clang, clang on discord. You're having some discord. This happens with Abram. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, Lot was his nephew. Abram's brother had died at a young age and he took Lot into his own family. He had become very wealthy as well. And he had flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. So Abraham has become Abraham LLC. And Lot has become Lot Industries. And both of them are growing like crazy. And the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So do you know what happened? In the middle of this kind of family business, you know what took place? Uh, disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen's of Lot. It, it, this is where families split off and start their own company. This is where families split off because of a disagreement on where we were gonna celebrate Christmas this year. No, you had it last year. No, and, and, and like all of a sudden, disputes break out. Anybody ever had a dispute just like break out? Yeah, it happens. So finally, Abram said to Lot, look, 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 Lot. Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. I wonder how many people have let things in their life, stuff that, stuff that just naturally happens, become wedges in relationships, wedges in families. And Abram said, whoa, 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 let's not let this discourse. So when there's a wedge, there's an opportunity to be tempted by the enemy, to say things you never ought to say, to do things you never ought to do. There's also opportunity for trial to be developed, be the, be the kind of person that Abram, Abram goes a lot and says, hey, you choose, let's make a plan. He becomes a problem solver and God blesses his obedience instead of fighting his own family. God blesses Abram's obedience in a beautiful way in the middle of discord. When you're in discord, no, it ain't always the enemy. Sometimes it's God, but it's, it's, it's really leaning on him that helps you begin to discover the, the space between, is this a trial, is this a temptation? In the middle of all this, okay, as they split up and Lot goes one way in the land and Abram goes the other way in the land, here's another element of the messy middle, distractions. God can give you a dream and you can decide to follow the dream and all of a sudden you get distracted. We are so easily distracted. You know what we call, you know what we call like adult ADD, busyness, saying yes to everything. 
We just get busy, 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 busy. And we think, oh, this is the blessing of the Lord, how busy I am. Sometimes it's a temptation to just say yes again. How do we know the difference between the two? Do you know that the enemy, maybe he won't be able to make you bad, but he can make you busy. You can be tempted by all kinds of stuff. We get distracted. As soon as they split up, guess what happens? About this time, war broke out in the region. Like, they're splitting up, they're growing their companies, and yet war breaks out. And sure enough, these, these uh, kings take over, they steal Lot and all of his stuff, and they bring, like, like they take him hostage. And so Abram, who's not a fighter, he's not a warrior, he's like, he's the CEO of a major company, major ranch and farm. He, he gets all his guys together and says, I know we're not the, 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 the beautiful bunch of warriors, but let's go get my nephew back. And, and so, I mean, you know, you got accountants with staplers and, and custodians with broom mop handles and stuff. And they, they go and they, sure enough, they, they attack these, these kingdoms and they get Lot back, but they're distracted from where they're supposed to go. Discord, distractions. There's a third, difficulties and detours. When you go through the difficulty of life, it's easy to say, why isn't God blessing me or God won't figure it out? And we then assume that it's the enemy and it's not God trial. God, what are you producing in me right now? What, what is this tension I'm feeling? What are you wanting to say to me? How can I grow through this, Lord? How can I grow through this? Because God's not gonna tempt you in a way that would cause you to sin, but he will allow you to go through a trial to develop you. Difficulties and detours. So here they are being faithful. They've split up. Abram's business is growing and they're waiting for the promise. And here we see Sarah enter the picture. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, she had borne him no children. And the promise had been, you're gonna get prego. You're gonna start baking some bread. We're gonna have some bread out of that oven pretty soon. And she, she's got no cupcakes coming. She had borne him no children. So she is getting frustrated in the, in the waiting, frustrated in facet number three, the messy middle. So she begins to look around, waiting to be pregnant. She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, hey, 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 <clears throat> the Lord has kept me from having children. Isn't it interesting how she takes this facet number three of development and she almost, she, she just like, she puts it on the Lord like it's, it's the Lord's fault when it may just be a season that she's going through. We will find out later it was just a season. And so here's what Sarai does, and this is what we do too. Watch what she says. Hey, here's what you should do. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. At the very beginning, you've got to remember the promise of God. I will build you. I will bless you. I will make you, I will provide for you. Yet since the beginning of the Garden of Eden, you and I are addicted to taking matters into our own hands and we want to control, we want to build, we want to be the final say, we want to be the king, we want to be the sovereign Lord of our lives. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, I, I, I think the Bible has got awesome, funny moments in it that we just kind of miss because I love the fact that like, this would be a moment where if Janet and I were having this conversation, she would probably, if she were to float this idea, number one, weird, uh, number, number two, um, you know, we would, I don't know if that's right, the right 
I don't know if this is the direction we should go here. Um, should we sleep on this? Should we, should we kind of think about this? Uh, you know, let, let's kind of weigh out our pros and cons. Should we talk to a counselor about this? But I think it's hilarious, Abram's response in the exact same passage, the exact same verse. It, it, there's, it's not like a chapter later after Abram went for three days and fasted and prayed. It was like, perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. He's like running out the door, taking his shirt off. You're like, okay. So sure enough, after Abraham, Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years. So this was 10 years. It was almost halfway in because it, it was about 25 years until it would all happen. About halfway in, in the messy middle, he slept with Hagar and she conceived. And it's this moment that still has caused unrest in the Middle East even today. Because these two boys of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael, Ishmael coming from Hagar, Isaac coming from Sarah, as the promise had said, they both have claimed their own rights to the Holy Land. And even unto this day, that dispute, that discord, that, that detour of Sarah has caused incredible turmoil, not just there, but throughout our world. Careful when you try to put things in your own hands. Number four is a dead end. Sure enough, after time, even though they were unfaithful, even though he slept with Hagar, even though they tried to take matters in their own hands, God was still faithful to the promise, and Sarah does give birth to Isaac. And Isaac grows, and yet here we come into this strange moment we don't understand is humanity, but God is sovereign. God is omnipotent. He sees a much bigger picture. He sees something that they don't see and that we don't see. He's showing them that on this same mountain later, I'm, gonna, I'm going to fulfill what I'm asking you to do because you can't fulfill it yourself. And what God says is, he tasted, tested Abraham's faith. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love so much. Go to the land of Moriah and go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, this is like, man, I would never do that to my own son. Like, I'm not gonna serve a God like that. And God, God says, I know. I know you won't do it to your, for your own son. That's why I'm going to do it. On that same mountain years later, Jesus would die on that mountain, Mount Moriah, for you and me. What would seem like a dead end was simply a trial moment but we can get to the temptation where we have to have everything in our own ability. Which brings us to the fifth piece that happens in the messy middle, and maybe, you and, uh, maybe you're living here, and that's delay. It's the waiting room. It, it's, it's God said it, when is it gonna happen? I'm running out of time. I mean, I wish, you, you know, it, this can happen with those that, that you, you, you put so, so much of your future in, in Mr. or Mrs. Wright, looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, that all of a sudden that delay happens and we start feeling like I'm running out of time the same way Sarah, and we start taking matters into our own hands. That delay is a, is a very difficult place. And yet God is inviting us to believe in something you can't explicitly prove, to have faith in the messy middle. So, with the rest of the time, how do you take up the shield of faith? How, how do you really, how do you, how do you take it up? Notice that the only way that 
you take it up is understanding the fact that it can be left. It, it can be forgotten. It's one of those pieces that you choose to grab. Once your feet are sandaled up, once your belt is on, once the breastplate is in its place, you're, you usually are not gonna leave those behind, but you can definitely set that shield of faith down. So you gotta, you gotta take it up. You gotta take it up. Now, if we were to back up this story into the middle of the messy middle of Abram's life, we go to this moment where Abram's struggling with faith. And he talks to God about it. So you back up away from the delivery of God's dream and you get right into the middle of the messy middle. And we get to this story in Abram's life. God says, don't be afraid, Abram. I will protect you. Your reward will be great. I know you don't see it right now. You don't feel very protected right now. You don't feel very rewarded right now. But trust me, have faith in me. It's gonna be, it's gonna happen. But Abraham replied, Oh, sovereign Lord. Now look at his reply. He's honoring God. He's placing the right title of God, sovereign, in control God, okay? Oh, oh, sovereign God, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Many times we challenge the goodness of God in the messy middle. We challenge the blessings of God. We challenge we challenge healing when healing doesn't come. We challenge the faithfulness when, when our life takes a major detour. What good are your blessings? This is Abraham. What good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? You told me I'm gonna have all these people. I can't even get, get my wife pregnant. What's going on? And so God says, come outside. Abram goes outside with God, look up into the sky, count the stars. Earlier he said, count the dust. He's like showing him, count the dust, count the stars. That's how many descendants you're gonna have. Very next scripture. So Abraham believed the Lord. Like he needed to see something, he needed to be reminded, he needed God's voice just to say, I'm telling you, this is true. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his what? Like this is, God calls it faith. Very same passage though. So then the Lord told him, I'm the Lord. I brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But then he had faith, counted it to him as righteousness. And yet in this moment, look what, look what happens again. Oh, sovereign Lord. How can I be sure that I will actually possess it. What good are all your blessings if I don't have a son? I'm gonna give you a son. Okay, 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 okay. Whew. And he had faith. And he had faith. And then he doesn't have faith. He takes up the shield of faith and then he lets his circumstances get big again. How can I be sure? How can I know that I know that I know? In other words, this faith thing can only go so far. I need proof. <laughs> so, how do you take up the shield of faith? Well, you gotta like actually take it. And when I say take it, it's not that you take it and you forget it. This isn't Ron Papil's rotisserie chicken infomercial where you set it and forget it. You gotta take it. And it's very easily to set it down. 
and then you got to take it again. And you have to be consistent with your surroundings, looking around and making sure you know, I'm going to take this shield of faith. And can I tell you, shield of faith ain't the size of the top of a metal garbage can that Oscar the Grouch comes out of. In the Roman culture of shields, it, they would have been uh, almost the size uh, of, a, of, of the hood of a, tr of, of a truck. They would have been about four foot wide and about five and a half foot tall. It's hard to displace that, isn't it? But that gets tired. It's hard to carry that. It's hard to really fight. That's why our sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, we'll get into in a couple weeks, that's where we battle. But the faith, we take that shield of faith, it's when we get into this front lines of trials and temptations that we gotta put that shield of faith. It's not about battling with that shield. It's about when we're under attack, we gotta take up that shield. Under attack, it's gonna quench those arrows. It's, it's not about hitting those arrows away with the sword of the spirit. It's about having that shield of faith. You gotta actually take it. To take something means to lay hold of it or to remove it. So I'm gonna take my keys out of my pocket or I'm gonna take that off the shelf. I gotta lay hold of it. I gotta remove it. And sometimes we simply lay our faith down because we try to put things in our own hands and we try to carry it on ourselves instead of trusting that, you know what, I'm gonna take both, I'm gonna take both hands and I'm gonna wrap it around the shield. Instead of trying to do it myself, I'm gonna be reminded he is faithful. He's all I need when the fiery darts are raining down from the top of the wall. You have to actually take it, number two, you gotta set all power to forward shields. This is some of my hidden Star Trek nerd coming out. Because there's moments where Captain Kirk or Captain Picard, they're faced with an enemy. And they would, they would go down to the engine room or wherever and they'd, they'd, they'd hit the intercom and they'd say, set all power to forward shields. What would happen is all the power that was dispersed around the ship would push towards where the attack was coming from. I wonder how much power you've dispersed in all kinds of different things. Power to get the last word in. The power to defend, the power to gossip, the power to control, the power to deny, the power to make yourself happy, the power to chase your own dreams. And I'm gonna tell you, using all that power out here and not setting all power to forward shields, that's what got Abram in trouble when he set his power, not to the forward shield of faith, but to a plan of his wife to continue on the family tree in a way that God had not designed. Set all power to forward shields. In this story, we see, God, we see Abraham doing this and we see, we see him putting all power towards God. Because after these moments of taking the shield and then setting it down and then taking the shield again, <clears throat> the Lord told him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon, and a partridge in a pear tree. That's not in there. I want you to bring me all of these animals 
for sacrifice. So Abraham presented all these to him and killed them. And then he cut each animal. This is a bloody, gory, nasty mess. He cut each animal down the middle and he laid the halves side by side. So when you got three goats and three this and turtle doves and all that, you got all this stuff and you've hacked away, just know this is a bloody mess in the middle of the desert. And Abraham has said, God has said, do it. And so they've divided all of this sacrifice. Can I tell you that in the middle of this, go ahead, Cody, in the middle of all this, when you're delayed, when you feel things have been dead-ended, when you think there's discord, when you think there's difficulties, there's something about sacrifice. There's something about setting all shields, all power towards a sacrifice of praise. God, I don't even get it. I don't even know. I am standing here exposed and naked in front of you, but I'm just gonna sacrifice. And in this moment, God is about ready to make a covenant with Abraham, a blood covenant. And in this moment, how do you take up the shield of faith? Number three, you gotta place your trust in the right metal, but don't write that down. Don't write that down. Because that ain't the metal. See, many times what we do is we put our trust in something we create, in the metal of the shield, and it isn't about metal and placing your trust in something that could be forged like that. It's about placing your trust in the right metal. Metal, this isn't a substance forged, this is a position where you are able to cope with difficulty with great resilience. To test someone's metal is to put them up against a difficult situation and for them to come through with flying colors. You tested the metal, they hit Mach 10 and, and were not and were able to they were able to make it through. They had, it wasn't about the metal of the ship. It was about the metal of the pilot, the metal. And you got to put your trust in the right metal. Because Abraham now has sacrificed all this and he's chasing away vultures that are trying to take his sacrifice. I'm going to tell you, vultures come in all kinds of forms, you know. From, from a coworker to a job opportunity, they'll, they'll try and steal your sacrifice. And he's chasing away the vultures, but he finally gets to the point that he's tired of chasing the vultures. And after the sun went down and the darkness fell, Abraham is resting there waiting on God. And Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. Now, this is a strange scripture unless you understand what's happening in that day and age. Have you ever heard blood is thicker than water? Blood is thicker than water isn't about the substance of blood and water. 
it was a statement about covenant that when a when a mother would give birth and the water would break and this baby would be born through water that blood covenant was thicker than water meaning it don't matter what family you came from that when we make a blood covenant blood is thicker than water so what would happen is two kingdoms would come together and like Abraham they would both sacrifice animals and they would walk through together they would walk through in a figure eight meaning infinity they would walk through the mess and their feet and their sandals and the edges of their robes would get stained with this blood they would say things like may the lord deal with me be it ever so severely if anything but death comes between us because blood is thicker than water this is a blood covenant and both kingdoms their leaders would walk through and create a covenant relationship an ally relationship in this moment abraham is created this opportunity for Abraham to walk with God through this mess. But yet, when the time comes, all Abraham can do is watch. This is like Jesus is the lion, he's the lily of the valley, he's the rose of Sharon, he's the light, he's the bright and morning star, he's the, the, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He, he, he represents all these things. And throughout scripture, we see him like the fourth angel in the midst of the burning furnace. He's the flower placed into the bitter pot. He is the wood that is placed into the bitter water. Jesus is this flaming torch, smoking fire pot. And what happens in this moment, Abram, can't even join Jesus himself, God himself walks through the mess. And God makes a covenant with Abram, a blood covenant. It wasn't the metal of Abram. Ultimately, this whole picture shows us that this was a precursor to Jesus whose faith in the Father would never waver who would walk through by himself because it could never be anything you could do or you could earn or you could build it would never be about your metal or your metal that you could forge but Jesus himself would create a blood covenant with us the Lord would make a covenant with Abraham and Jesus would make a covenant with us all about who he is and what he's done. So when you put your trust in the right metal, when you take the shield of faith, what you're doing is you're saying, Jesus, you're my shield. You are of great substance and I take you and you fight my battle and you close my mouth and you make me quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry and you're in the middle of my discord and you're in the middle of the, de the, the, the delay and you're in the middle of the detour and the difficulty. I'm gonna take you and it's not gonna be about my metal. It's about your metal. 
I'm gonna chase away vultures. Sure, I have, a, I have a part in not letting the temptation come in and discourage or destroy me. But ultimately, Lord, you are the one that fights the battle. I hunker down behind you. You are faithful. Would you pray with me today? At all of our locations, has bowed, eyes closed. I know some of you have been going through the messy middle. Would you just rest in the fact that Jesus is with you? He goes before you. He's made covenant relationship with you that while you are still messed up, while you are still a sinner, he would die for you. So you can know it's not about earning it. He's already done it. And so two prayers today. One is you've been lost in the messy middle and you may not even be realizing that God has a plan for your life. That God would like to be the Lord of your life. He won't force you into it, but he has made a way for it. And if you're here today and you need to invite Jesus to be the center of your life, the Lord of your life, the, to, to, to invade your heart, in, in other words, the intersection of your thoughts and your emotions and your desires, and to sit on the throne of your heart for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, if that's you and you need to reposition yourself with Jesus as your Savior and Lord and shield, if that's you, all locations, just put a hand right up in the air. I want to pray over you. I want to lead you. I want to guide you into a prayer. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you here. Thank you, Nacogdoches. Thank you, Duncan and Dyball. In your own words, you simply say, Jesus, thank you for meeting me here in this messy middle. I want to receive your plan. I want to follow you. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it by myself. I've tried. That, that, that's, that, that's not the way. I want to lean into you. Would you forgive me of my sin, the stuff that separates me from you? And would you give me a fresh start today? Thank you for not being mad at me, but for meeting me in this moment, in the middle of my mess and guiding me. I put my trust and faith in you. Second prayer, maybe you've gotten onto a detour, there's discord, there's a disappointment, feels like a dead end, it's a delay. Whichever one it is, maybe you're dealing with it with a moment of honesty, can I pray over you? If that's you and you're in the middle of one of those messy middle pieces, would you just put a hand up in the air and let me, let me just see you and pray over you? Here and there in Nacogdoches with our campus pastor and Duncan and Dieball with our team, Jesus sees you and so do we. Father, I pray that not a single person would feel alone, but they would feel your presence in this moment. They would hunker down underneath you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And when we feel like things have messed up, we tend to run away instead of run toward. And so today, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, we run towards you today. And we come under your wing. We come under your shield. Thank you, Lord, for being enough. Thank you for your faith in humanity that way outshines our faith in you. That you would love us so much, you would give us this moment to make things right. We take up our shield of faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.